0: Welcome to CIA Files News Edition. I am Topher M. Ford, and I have Brandon Gibbons with him. All right, so uh, not really much in the news lately, but we figured we'd talk anyway, just, you know, for the practice. Um, yeah, I, anything worth mentioning in the news, Brandon?
1: Uh, well, I mean, we called it as far as the invasion goes. Um It was like, oh, it's not happening. It's like, "Uh, no, it happened. And um, what's, uh, and they will, it's actually kind of rolled out as we predicted. Uh, The big difference though, or at least like what we weren't sure of is how well that the Russians would do. So what I mean by what we predicted, they would go into the, you know, breakaway regions, and then from Crimea, they would push out and east to try to connect with the breakaway regions. And if that went well, then push west to connect with the Transnista. And they're also pushing toward Kiev. Now, militarily, Kiev, like it's kind of questionable because this isn't like the, the 18th century play. Oh, we got to capture the capital. But it's a psychological victory. If the Russians could have taken that pretty quickly, then just the, the psychological effect of that could have you know, broken the war. But basically, the um, Ukrainian army has done an excellent job of holding back the Russians.
0: And Right, because they were expecting, it seems like everyone was expecting Russia to just sort of roll in there and take over without much resistance or not resist you know people expected resistance but not effective resistance i guess it should say yeah uh people were expecting a blowout and we've had a i don't know would you call it a cinderella story (laughs) yes
1: i mean i mean that that might have been that might uh be the kind of discrediting uh, the Ukrainian forces, because they, they've been holding a line in the east for a long time now with that forever war, and the I think they they've got a well trained defense force. It's just they don't have all the hardware that Russia had, but they got the heart, and that's that seems to be winning it for them. Is they've got the heart. They don't necessarily need tanks as long as they have um, the equipment to blow the tanks up. And the Russian tanks are running out of gas, uh, which I saw this video. It cracked me up. It was of these Ukrainians driving up on a tank that had run out of gas. And it was. Oh, kind of, I saw that. Yeah, it was a friendly exchange. <laughs> it was like, oh, we'll give you a tow back to Russia. Right. <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, how's the war going? And it's like, oh, you guys are losing, but we can, you know, once you come with us, we'll take you to a prison camp.
0: <laughs> or something to something to that effect. So at least, you know, from what we're seeing here in the West in America, uh, this war doesn't seem to be very popular with anyone. Um, the Most of the world seems to be, united in, you know, denouncing Putin, denouncing this war as unjust. And, you know, in general, things aren't going well.
1: We got a breaking news thing. Uh Uh-oh. And Putin puts nuclear forces on high alert.
0: Well, that's not good.
1: Yeah. Um, It's also,
0: though, go ahead.
1: Well, they caught I think I did see something about it a few minutes ago, uh, nuclear defense forces. And yeah, he's uh freaking out, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, is it an escalation? But like, he's been playing poker, he and Zelensky, and they both kind of were like, well, who's bluffing? Who's bluffing? What cards do you have? And you know, he says, Zelensky is, is not like a politician in the traditional sense and he didn't sell out the country he's like well if we got to fight this out we're going to fight it out and well they laid down their cards and putin thought he had the nuts but he didn't and, right. and now he's dealing with you know the losing hand and so he's trying to pull an ace out of his sleeve and he's like oh well i got nuclear weapons too and that's a whole lot of messed up uh, i mean i mean the whole thing of course is messed up but you know, we've tolerated this sort of authoritarianism because, well, it's kind of expensive in lives and money and treasure not to. You know, right. at what point do we have the right to interfere in other countries? Though that does seem to be something the U.S. likes to do. But yeah, starting
0: to wave nuclear weapons around that. Uh, right, because right before all of this started they had a conference that in, uh, involved the United States and China and Russia all declaring that nuclear weapons were too much, that you know there was no good reason to use them considering how destructive they are. And then now we're here and of course Putin, you know, he immediately whipped out the nuclear weapons to everyone else in the world saying, If you guys interfere, I reserve the right to, you know, drop a bomb somewhere. And so it's kind of been this image of Putin kind of like a, I don't want to say a mad dog, but like, you know, like a person who's gone crazy and taken someone hostage and they're threatening to blow up everyone around them. If He's throwing uh, a tantrum.
1: It's exactly what it is. He's throwing a tantrum. And it's like... He thought that his army was gonna roll right in there, and he failed. His soldiers are surrendering left and right because they don't want to be there. A lot of them are conscripts. And even the, um, they call them contract soldiers. So when you read about a contract soldier, it's not a mercenary. It's like in the US, when you join the military, you sign a contract. And so the contract soldiers are, you know, they're supposed to be your regular well-trained soldiers. And there, even a lot of them are like, "Uh, (laughs) what am I even doing here?
0: Right. Uh, There was a story early on about the Russian platoon who thought they were just going on like a reconnaissance mission, uh, you know, information gathering, something like that. And then they get there and discover that they're supposed to be killing Ukrainians. And so they surrendered.
1: Right. Uh, I don't don't have anything to do with this. Yeah. Right. Uh, And the, the... a lot of it's being withheld from the Russians. Like, um, you know, I've got friends and they, um, even the pro Russians that are aware of it say like nobody they know really supports the invasion. And a lot of people just simply aren't aware, like it's being downplayed. Um, I don't think they're, they're hiding that there is this action. Um, and when they do talk about it, they say, oh well, Zelensky and the Ukrainians are actually fascist and they're they're you know persecuting the, the Russian speakers and the Donbass region and we're trying to to stop these fascists from
0: being all fascisty. And, right. Yeah, that's his that's been Putin's line that he's going to denazify Ukraine. Right. I mean, and it's
1: so Based on non reality, but as we well know, people believe non reality when they want to, (laughs) and you know,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's been one of the big lessons we've learned here in the United States in the past, you know, since 2016. Um, that reality is more elastic than a lot of people want to admit to especially people on the left and you know like well-educated people who have developed trust in you know uh, science with a capital s and reliable news media and they can't figure out why other people who aren't like them don't hold that you know those same institutions in such high regard and they've just Written all these people off as uh, stupid and uneducated. And I'm like, at some point, you're going to have to understand and accept that you're also making a lot of assumptions and believing <laughs> a lot of things. Your sources may be more reliable. And I'm not saying that those assumptions are more wrong than they are right more often. Um, but Yeah. I'm just saying a lot of stuff that we take for granted as being fact, other people don't take that for granted and they don't trust the same sources that you do. And that has a huge effect on our reality. Right. <laughs> and Putin is the master of that. He is the master of manipulating reality.
1: Well, you also have to understand his um, like philosophical background Uh, It is based on the idea that humans are illogical. And so you can't really have an objective reality. And so really the smartest people should be kind of taking care of things. Right. You know, like democracy can't really work because people are really too dumb and too easily manipulated, too easily manipulated. So you should go ahead and manipulate them (laughs) and put yourself in that top tier. It seemed to be working out for him, but he tried to manifest something into existence he couldn't manifest.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the global response uh, to this. Obviously, the United States, uh, the UK, and most of the Western nations were quick to denounce Russia. And... There have been, you know, like talks of sanctions, um, but some countries have been hesitant and, you know, what countries have, uh, like, voiced full-on support for Russia? Belarus? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm I'm wondering. That's why I ask you because I haven't heard of many, if any, that have just been, like, full-on support, Uh, you know, even China has been like, hey, maybe you guys are uh, going a little too fast. You know, and people have talked about how China has been watching, would be watching this whole situation closely to see how the world reacts, you know, as they maneuver to reclaim Taiwan. Uh-huh. And this might end up being a big discouragement for them. Uh, yeah. As... uh this does not go well for Russia. Um, uh,
1: did you see the video of the um, Molotov bee? I and mean, that's what I'm calling it. Like you have a quilting bee. Everybody gets together. It was a bunch of Kiev <laughs> citizens in Kiev making, making Molotov cocktails. Just <laughs> making a whole bunch, it. bunch uh, of them. Man. It's on the news how to do it, you know, like the new, oh, this is how we make them, you know. And so <laughs> and, um, so they need to, like, translate that into um, Chinese or something for the Taiwanese. And I was like, here, we call this, it's a vegan milkshake for throwing at your oppressor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, Germany, not surprisingly, has been hesitant to follow suit well, it
1: was the the gas issue but they got on the bandwagon
0: <laughs> they, right, they... eventually they just recently had a you know a pretty quick change of heart which is good
1: well I saw a comic uh that it was sadly very accurate um it shows uh, like a, a little character and it's Ukrainian flag. And it's like, I shall go fight the monster Russia. And then like an elf is like, you can have my bow and a dwarf. You can have my hammer. And it's like, you can have my right. sword. And like one's Germany, one's the U.S. And, you know, there's NATO. And then the last scene is um, the Ukraine holding all the weapons as he walks away. But <laughs> that's essentially what's happened is like, we will stand up to Russia. Good. Here, take these take these Stinger missiles and, and take, take right. the ammunition and you, you get on that.
0: Well, we're going
1: to be cheering from the back row.
0: And there has been, I think, you know, like this, you know, Putin has given lots of warnings to all the rest of the countries uh, saying you cannot get involved, don't get involved. And so they haven't as far as Direct military support, but they have, you know, obviously they've been different countries have been giving, uh, given Ukraine lots of weapons, hardware, and things, and I think it it shows people aren't so scared of Putin that they're willing to do nothing, you know, right? but there, there's like a line that. You know, they're willing to go right up to this line, uh, right up to sending in troops. Um, And Putin can't, I mean, I don't think there was a lot he could do about that.
1: Yeah. Well, they, um, I mentioned uh, like our our last week, you too could join the militia. Right. And now it's kind of out in the open. Zelensky's like, show up and we'll give you weapons. So anybody, I guess you just walk across the Polish border there. And it's like, Hey, send me to the, send me to the front line. I, I don't know how it works, but they made that announcement. And, uh, what was it? I think it was a secretary of defense or minister of defense. And, um, England was like, eh, people want to go and fight. Who am I to stop them? Right. <laughs> and so it's like the Abraham Lincoln brigade. And, um, in uh, Spain or something, you know, we might end up with, if this does become protracted out, we may end up with a lot of like substantial volunteer forces going to, um, to fight. Um, And I mean, the, uh, the French and the Americans and the Brits will just keep the weapons coming to keep it going. Uh, One of the things that amazes me about this war so far too, you know, I, you could follow like with uh, like uh lot. What is it? Live you got it up right here. Live map.com and some other like websites in real time where like tanks and things are being spotted. And Elon Musk is setting uh, or, you know, ensuring that the, the satellite link things are up. Yeah. So
0: yeah. like. You, just we'll a few. see though if that if, if that actually cause he's gotta send uh dishes to Ukraine for the for them to make use of that. And uh so that could be, you know, like when he promised all those ventilators. Oh yeah. Uh, and <laughs> they ended up just being um basic air pumps that didn't yeah. actually
1: People know, remember so. the promise though, and that's good marketing. He's a very good marketer. It's yeah. Talks well but I have this vision in my mind of these kind of like local Ukrainian militia people just with their little little uh, cell phone and Google Maps is like, oh, we got a tank over here. Let's go yeah. circle around the woods with you know our uh, bazookas and light it up. And well, they've already lost. Um this was just a few days like Yesterday or something Where was it? The actual um, Amount of damage It's like I think up to 4,000 soldiers now Um, Over 100 tanks Over 500 armored vehicles 14 fighter jets 8 helicopters And I mean that was That was on the 26th So now it's gotta be more and I mean, like the—I think the the Russians are losing more soldiers than we lost in years in Afghanistan. Um. And yeah, I mean they are, which Putin's already put out the peace fielders, and it tells you, and he's trying to act all big and big, and it's like, right. oh. that's his and, whole
0: thing—is like Look, I am a tough guy?
1: And it's like, nah, you've. I mean, you 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 stepped in it. You messed with the wrong what was his line? You messed with the wrong Jew, as far as that goes. But know, Zelensky, but it's not not really like just Zelensky. I mean, you messed with the wrong nation. <laughs> These guys are out. Yeah. Um did you hear? So the U.S. offered Zelensky like um, evacuation, and he said, oh, "I yeah. don't need a ride. I need weapons." I was like, yeah. nice. Yeah. A that's alpha. one of the
0: things. Um, Zelensky and Ukraine, the Ukrainian people in general, are coming out of this thing looking like total badasses. You know, they they refuse to back down. You see Zelensky out in the streets of Kiev, with uh, you know regular people saying like, "Here, we're here. We're waiting for the Russians. I'm going to be right here." You know, I feel like if it came down to it he'd be in the streets with the machine gun with his, with his people. Um, I could, you they, know, I could be wrong. It could be a big show, but so far. He hasn't left. Yeah. I mean, that says
1: a lot right there. Um, it you really know, does. and to be, to, to be fair to the prior president, um, was it Prashin, Shinko I think that's. Prashinko. Uh, no, 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 no. That's the Belarusian fellow. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Um, he, there was a video of him with, you know, the AK-47 and a couple other kind of militia dudes that looked about my age. And he's like, man, it's what we have when the Russians come. You know, we'll give it to them. But, you know, I mean, we need some anti-take stuff. And they're like, well, how long could Kiev hold out? And he's like, forever. <laughs> it was like, nice. We got two presidents. Two... And that's what gets me. About, like, I cannot understand how anyone in the U.S., left or right, but especially in the right wing, could not be supporting Ukraine. I mean, like, when we were kids, like any anyone between the age of eight to, to like 18, Red Dawn was required viewing. <laughs> <laughs> and so like the Ukrainians are going full on Red Dawn and you've still got, uh, you know, like these a certain wing of the Republican party said, well, Putin's misunderstood. And, you know, Ukraine, that was actually kind of part of Russia. You know, he just, he's just getting rid of some bad people that
0: are there. And, um,
1: what are you, what fantasy world are you living in?
0: Yeah. And, and then this whole effort to blame everything on Biden. And it's like the, and the Trump tough guy thing, if Trump had been in office, if I'd been in office, this never would really have happened. <laughs> he was impeached for trying to withhold military aid to Ukraine. To leverage right. them into giving him some dirt on Biden. It's it's um yeah. The GOP has they're in this weird fantasy world now. They're, they're probably right that
1: that Putin would not have invaded while Trump was in office because he wouldn't want to have embarrassed him. He wouldn't no. want to have embarrassed Trump. He would wait because I think that was in part part of this strategy is if it becomes a protracted war, I believe Putin was going to. Well, I mean, we still can expect it to happen. Uh, the right wing is going to be flooded with pro-Russian propaganda. If you haven't noticed it, there does seem to be a lot of pro-Russian propaganda in the news and media that skews right. Hmm. Right. I would expect more of that. And I would expect it to be an attempt to divide the country itself to turn like those who support Ukraine into the true un-Americans and those that support Russia, the real Americans, and in bizarro world, that kind of seems to be some people's way of thinking. That you know, why why do we care about Ukraine? Oh, the Ukraine is a corrupt nation, and it's like what? It's like well, we have problems, but compared
0: to Russia, what are you talking about? Right. Um, so let's talk sanctions. Um, have, it seems like, and I could be wrong because situations have been developing so fast, but um, there have been some sanctions, but it seems like not a lot so far. The
1: SWIFT thing is a pretty big deal.
0: Right. But that hasn't happened yet. Right. Uh,
1: uh I thought it, I thought some of the banks had been. Um, I think Severa Bank was not, um, but the French got, got some sort of commercial vessel. And so they're starting to do, you know, like grab ships at sea and stuff. So we're right. seeing, we're starting to see some real like, oh yeah, they're, they're actually stopping stuff. And... Right,
0: it just, it seems like it's taken a while, which I guess that makes sense, because when you're dealing with global diplomacy, uh, that the gears turn slowly, I imagine. Um, yeah, we've seen that the Russia has destroyed two different Japanese vessels that were, they say, a mistake, you know. Well, that's a whoopsie. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's just not going well for Putin. And I, I think about, you know, when we talked earlier about his uh, manipulation of reality and his talent for developing his own narrative and pushing that. But he's that's like, I think that that sort of thing is becoming more difficult to pull off these days because of how connected everyone is in the world. And I think we're starting to see, um, that skill become less important, you know, and in 2014, things were still relatively new when it comes, I mean, they weren't new when it comes to social media. Um, but it wasn't as entrenched in culture, I think, as it is now. Um, I don't know. I
1: think people choose their echo chambers, and uh, it's I. I don't know how we're going to get out of out of that. I remember when I was in um, college, and there was a libertarian speaker, and he was talking about how we should even get rid of um, like libel and slander laws. You know, because uh, you know now with libel and slander laws, you know you end up with this like Monica Lewinsky case and not that the person was really defending Clinton or cared about Clinton, but it's it's like people take it seriously, this allegation, because, you know, you can get in trouble for slander and and libel and such. So, but if anyone's allowed to say any lie and everyone is doing that, then no one will believe anything. And he was advocating for that. And it's like, (laughs) Well, wouldn't that be dangerous? Because if there are no standards by which something can be published or no one can be held accountable for, for lying, then isn't that a problem? And Actually, that you can take that even back to the news where I think it was um, Bill O'Reilly um, was to be sued by someone that he you was know, like, well, he lied about this person or the person, all right, I'm suing him for lying about me. Um, but the judge said, "Well, we can't win because he tells so many untrue things. We can't establish that he knows what's true. So, for you, for someone to get in trouble for lying, they have to know they're lying. And we put people on television and in front of cameras, and they just kind of say whatever they want." And people believe it because they're on TV, but there really isn't an objective standard. In fact, the more they lie, the safer they are and the more insulated they are from prosecution. (laughs) They can say, oh, well, obviously I'm an entertainer or I don't really even know what I'm saying. Um,
0: Yeah, that's um, that's kind of the Casey Anthony defense where you just you just keep lying without any regard to what you said in the past or what you're able to prove. You just never, ever stop lying. You never admit to anything. You deny everything, and you lie. And, you know, in the Casey Anthony trial, she, she got off largely in part to her just, like, tidal wave of bullshit. And I think it confused the jury and everyone involved and they didn't know up from down by the time that case was over. And I think that's the same tactic that we see used um, used by Trump, definitely used by Putin, which is you just deny, you always deny, you never admit the truth, and you flood the the narrative, with as much bullshit as you can and what about ism
1: don't forget yeah. what about ism and no you're yeah. the one south park did a pretty good job with that and it's like hold it you're you know it's like hold it Putin, you, you sent troops into ukraine you sent troops into ukraine <laughs>
0: <laughs> right um yeah as far as uh the swift sanctions go um Oh, and can you give us a little breakdown of the SWIFT system?
1: I mean, it's basically a system for wiring money internationally. Um, so, you know, like I'm, you know, in Kazakhstan, I make my money. And when I need to wire money to the U.S., it will go through the SWIFT banking system. And it's, a, it's secure. It's a way of protecting it. And like what well, you say, one of the advantages to cryptocurrency is like if there's a mistake or it ends up at the wrong spot, then we can, you can often kind of get a claw back. Um, as opposed to crypto, when you say, bloop, it's in that address <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or whatever.
0: But um, with, it's it, my impression it, of it was that it's kind of like a global PayPal for international banks. That's a good way of putting it. It's a global PayPal. You need to move your money to a different country and you don't want to bother with the exchange, you know, changing to another currency and... uh, Well, sometimes
1: it can involve currency exchange, but um, it's a way that can be monitored. And so avoid money laundering. Uh, But of course, you know, you create shell companies for for that. Right? Yeah,
0: (laughs) they always find a way. For that. Um,
1: but if you if you're disconnected from that, then your kind of currency it's a value of a currency is often based on how many people are like pulling it out of the country versus pulling it in. And um if you can't really move your currency, then it kind of ends up losing value, you know.
0: Right. You, can, so, you know, you to go, so to go further with the PayPal analogy, it's like if you make most of your money off of uh, selling things on eBay, and then all of a sudden PayPal kicks you off, and you have to deal just in like checks and money orders, yeah, and whatnot, that's that's a
1: very good way of looking at it.
0: Then, yeah, yeah. this is from uh, Reuters today, uh, February twenty seventh. A decision by Western allies on Saturday to block selected Russian banks from the SWIFT payment system will inflict a crippling economic blow, but also cause much pain to their own companies and banks and the allies still have room to do more. So Uh, that was one of the big uh, concerns that I saw reported when people first started calling Uh, for the expulsion of Russia from the SWIFT system. And it was, you know, that Russia was so integrated or, you know, such a big part of the economy, the global economy, that kicking them out would actually uh, cause a lot of economic harm to other countries as well. Well, Their
1: economy is about the size of Italy's. I mean, it's smaller than California's. Right. Right. I mean, I mean that, not to dismiss Italy or California, but
0: No, I understand.
1: Yeah. They're like, uh, yeah. I mean, they have that, that oil, but they're still they're still shipping that oil out. Germany's still got that pipe open.
0: Right. <laughs> well, as I said little before How are going
1: to get paid for it? I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out.
0: Yeah, I'm no economist. Um I've said before. But I do remember hearing that um, those were some concerns that, you know, kicking Russia out of SWIFT would have negative impact on everyone involved, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, where it could matter too. I mean, things like, um, you know, banking in Kazakhstan, if I found out like, Oh, a bank I'm using here is part of those sanctions that I'm going to pull my money out. And so you could end up with these bank runs, and we could also, I mean, like, end up, you know, any sort of these Russian institutions, of, I think, uh, in the Czech Republic, Spherebank, uh, Spherebank's like a Russian bank. And I don't think they've been hit with this sanction, um, but people are already like, uh. So, like, Russian businesses that aren't even being um, sanctioned are going to feel the effect because it's like, I don't want my money
0: in a Russian. Because it's going to scare people. away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so you, you brought up Kazakhstan, uh, where you are now, um, Kazakhstan, so, su- uh, surprised Putin by denying, uh, to send in troops, uh, when he asked for some, uh, military help and that had to be frustrating for him because I mean, I kind of got the impression that he didn't expect that, that he figured he could just call on Kazakhstan Uh, He's like, I just helped. We just helped you guys out recently with a little problem you had with the protesters where we definitely didn't kill any protesters. But we helped you out. Uh, What up? (laughs) Where are you guys at? You don't have my back.
1: Well, it's a it's a mutual defense treaty and Russia is on the offense. So, (laughs) you know, the CSTO. (laughs) Uh, Kazakhstan was well within their rights. They're like, well, what threat were you under? You know, like you decided to recognize this breakaway region, contrary to international law, and you decided to send in troops not only to that region, but to the other part of the nation. You're not in a defensive war. You are not under attack. So what obligation do do we have to send troops? We'll sell you oil i'm sure kazakhstan selling them whatever they're like if they want to buy something which you know like there was a question here if like oh well will kazakhstan be invaded will kazakhstan be drawn in and it's like well russia would be pretty dumb because it would open up like if they were to attack it was like um they would be creating a new front like there's this huge border why open that up to um need to be defended And I'm sure the Kazakhs will sell them anything they want to buy or trade. I don't know. They won't do it through the SWIFT system, apparently. But, you know, and um, yeah, and the Kazakhs don't want to get involved because they don't want to aggravate the U.S. And, you know, they want to get along with everyone. That's kind of their thing. They want to be friendly with everyone.
0: Someone on Reddit made the joke, Said, "Yes, we will send you weapons." Not. <laughs> <as a boy. laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um. Now, did you hear uh, about the sunflowers? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was so a great telling the Russian soldier. I hope to put sunflower seeds in his pocket so that they grow into flowers when he dies.
1: <laughs> Something good will happen of his death then.
0: Yeah. Uh, there was also the you know the pictures and video of that like he looked like he was maybe like eighteen year old, uh eighteen years old, the Russian soldier who was like uh, somehow like isolated and alone, sitting on a step crying oh, as yeah. the there were Ukrainians around him mocking him. Um
1: Yeah, they they don't want to be there. And I, I, there's an unconfirmed report that um, 5,000 Russians refused to even come in. Um, but we do we are seeing lots of surrenders where they're just if they get surrounded, they just don't have a fight in them because they don't they don't care. They, you know they, they don't believe that right. the Ukrainians are fascist and they're just you know and, and a lot of them it's a con, a lot of them are conscripts. And there's a lot of harassment and abuse, and
0: right, really and doing and they have military services compulsory in Russia, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean the yeah
1: you're supposed to serve. I think it's two years, um, and so sometimes people if they're if they ha- have the ability to be either Russian or Kazakh, they'll choose Kazakh because the military commitment is is, is um shorter. <laughs> and so, and they're like, I don't, I don't want to go. Yeah, I, mean, I had a student who's like, oh, man, uh, doing the service in Russia would not be pleasant because all you do is you get bullied and you have to like pay off your NCOs to be bullied less, and <laughs> um, you build houses for for the oligarchs. <laughs> you have to do that, and then you can go on your merry way. And right. Yeah so I mean they these I mean they're kids I feel sorry for them you know it's like oh well, they're 20 year old kids but at the same time that's every military and they're they're always children going to fight but right. these are children going to fight for against their brothers for a reason they don't even believe in um, like yeah let me let me go which brings me of something I was um, joking with my um, wife about I said I think what should happen is the EU and the U.S. and Canada say, okay, any Russian that defects, you know, if you're a soldier and you walk across the line, you'll get refugee status and a work permit and a pathway to citizenship. And um, then
0: that I wonder how many would take would take that offer.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm go to America. And, well, you know, what? I mean, at the end of the day, it may be cheaper to have, you know, 50,000 Russian soldiers as refugees I mean they already have 200,000 Ukrainians cross the border. you know I' just like okay Russian soldiers you know they're all they'll be most of them be in their 20s. you've got a young, probably pretty educated workforce come on over because a, a lot of the European nations that are facing a demographic crisis just take the best and brightest that Russia has to offer. Uh, but uh, some artists said it. Uh, someone else uh, ha- with more fame than, than myself came up with the idea, and the Latvian defense minister tweeted it, and that was pretty funny. I was like, man, he stole my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Latvian, I think it was the minister of defense for Latvia. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, the ministry of defense uh, for Latvia tweeted it, and the artist is Igars Bixi. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that. I'm not familiar with him. But anyway, he and I think alike. And <laughs> I still think it was a good idea. So Biden, Macron, anybody listening, um, you guys should do that.
0: Yeah, oh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're listening. <laughs>
1: um, a Macron mentioned that he um, might be prepared for a long war, but... I mean he said that like a day or two ago and i mean now it's looking like it might wind down fairly quickly i mean fingers crossed the sooner the better for the ukrainian people and everyone involved um but i would say if this thing this thing may turn into um putin's afghanistan which would be hilarious and irony because like afghanistan was supposed to be well that and chernobyl the what kind of broke the soviet union like uh right it was a big part of it yeah drained it economically showed a general level of incompetence and this might be what takes putin down once people start realizing that their kids they sent off for their you know one or two year military service have been killed or wounded or and what's really depressing, too, like I kind of feel sorry for these soldiers because, you know, when they go back, they're not going to be seen as heroes. No. there are already protests and people in Russia who like there. Uh, there have been like thousands of Russians arrested for protesting and you know coming out in vocal support. Right. Putin
0: has been cracking down hard on the messaging, um, in Russia, that you can't the newspapers and news outlets can't mention anything that's even vaguely uh, pro-Western or showing the West in a positive light. People are getting harsh uh, sentences or at least threatened with harsh sentences for protesting or speaking out. Um, he's going hard authoritarian right now. I was like, well, uh, Xi
1: Jinping, you know, she in China, Xi Jinping has been putting the, uh, the, the, tightening the restrictions on the press. And uh, so they seem to be closing up more. Um, So again, we see, but it might work. It might end up that this breaks um, Putin. But at the same time, I mean, like, sometimes that iron fist is what keeps them in power. Like look at North Korea. I mean, those guys have... Uh, they're going to collapse any day now. They're all starving, and they're going to collapse. And they can they can't even feed their their leaders. And
0: what do you see as you know the path forward now? What do you think? It's I... hard to tell because uh, Putin seems to have he he has a massive ego. He has been obsessed with his public image ever since uh, you know day one of his presidency and so this loss i don't i wonder if he is able to accept it you know and yeah. if he might become more dangerous because this hasn't played out the way he expected it to and he can't handle the thought of being seen as weak on the world stage so yeah It is
1: hard. I I think in a better scenario, he will resign or some military officers and high officials and high party members within United Russia will encourage him to resign to his beautiful mansions. And, uh, (laughs) then the new government creates a reset
0: (laughs) with the West. Right. Um, I, I don't know how likely that is though, after watching that press conference he did where he had all of his different security and military people, you know, like come out, he paraded them out and they all came up to the microphone and said what he wanted them to say. And I watched footage of that and, you know, where some of them were very hesitant to say out loud what he wanted them to say, and they're trying to speak, like, you know, in legalese and that vague jargon. Um, And he was, like, laughing at them and going, no, speak plainly, man. Do you support this? And they look petrified, you know? He well, was like, I'm scared because... I'm pretty sure saying this is going to damn me in the larger uh, picture. But if I don't say it here, Putin's probably going to, you know, hit me with a poison gun.
1: Well, that's I leave. Yeah. That would be the evidence that behind closed doors somewhere, there's a, Oh, what do we do if this crazy, this guy really does get out of hand. What do we do? If he Right, gets a out? little
0: Julius Caesar action.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, if he starts, if he pulls out that nuclear football for real, you know, they, uh, I mean, historically the Russians have been pretty good about um, stopping the end of the world,
0: yeah. you know, like. There have when, been at least two different instances that we're aware of that where a higher up in the, I don't know if it was the president or who, where they ordered a nuclear strike and a person on the ground refused to carry it out. Yeah. Well, one of them was,
1: uh, it was a glitch, and um, uh, what was it was not radio, radar, and they were supposed to launch, like the system set was, if you see this, it looked like an attack, we we're supposed to launch, and uh, the guy's like, no, I'm not doing it, Yeah, you know, like if we get, you know, if it happens, it happens, you know, it's like, oh, well, that was nice of them, and the other one was involved um, submarines and the... Uh, Cuba crisis. And I can't remember exactly how that played out, but it was something like the Americans were dropping death charges on a submarine and one of the officers were like, well, let's just set off our nukes and you know, blood. And another goes, no, we can't do that. If we get killed, we get killed, but we're not going to blow up the world. And so that's, yeah. that's my memory of it. Don't, don't like quote, quote me on it, but it was the very, very broad strokes of the stories.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: but to answer your question, I think um, we might be looking at a coup um, or um, the, the people might actually just start really protesting, like if it continues, the more and more people getting in St. Petersburg, more and more, and they said this might be their downfall, um, you yeah, know, well, because of a, a popular uprising. And he's he's overplaying his hand and he's delusional and somebody or some crew in his inner circle are either going to take him out before that happens, before the people overthrow them, or the people are going to overthrow. But that's if he continues on this path. If, he, if they do, um, another scenario that's probable is within the week, they come up with some sort of peace agreement, and they pull out, but Zelensky is probably going to have to give them something. Uh, But I don't, but Zelensky, I think he's already offered referendums in the breakaway regions. Like I would say, well, the offer would be, all right, let's hold open election referendums in Crimea and the breakaway regions. And if they want to join Russia,
0: fine. Right. And they, they held a referendum like that in Crimea um, right before Russia annexed that place. Yeah, and, but
1: there were questions about the legitimacy. Um, right, and from
0: what I understood too, uh, you know, they flooded Crimea with disinformation right before the referendum uh, to sort of sway people, you know, and you know, think things about Ukraine that weren't true. And so, if that's the case too that you know maybe sentiment there has changed i don't know
1: yeah well and also a lot of the people that were pro-ukrainian left so
0: right yeah why would you you stay there yeah Yeah.
1: all right well i mean unless the military situation turns around i mean that is kind of my predictions they'll come up with some kind of peace or or armistice but I don't know. I don't think the Ukrainians will take an armistice. I think they'll take you going to get out. Maybe go back to the line, you know, your breakaway region. You might can go back to that, but get out of the rest.
0: Yeah. I wanted to do a little uh, overview of Putin. Obviously not the full CIA files treatment, um, although we'll probably end up coming back to him at some point later on. But I didn't know a lot about him prior to, you know, his more recent part time in his presidency. Uh, You know, so I went and did a little reading and uh, found some interesting stuff about him. He was born October 7th, 1952 in Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg. His family Suffered through the Nazi siege of Leningrad. He lost a lot of family members. Uh, his grandmother died. She was killed by Nazis. Um, his father worked for the NKVD and was injured fighting Nazis. He had two uncles who were in the military who never came back from the Western Front of World War II. And I'm sure that all of that played a big part in how he was raised, you know. In uh, he, he studied law in uh, at Leningrad State University and graduated from there in 1985. Uh, and he seemed to be pretty, pretty sharp. He wrote his dissertation on most favored nation status of global trade, which you were, um, explain that for me, Brandon. The oh. most favored nation,
1: all right, yeah, that's like, um it's pretty historical it just basically means that a country um gives has like a set of tariffs that are usually low with like high quotas you know like a quota being a limit on how much could be imported but the quotas will be high uh if that nation is most favored so like okay us has most favored nation status with brazil and they say okay well we're gonna it's two percent for sugar and for cars because that's, you know, our favorite low tariffs. And if Vietnam gets favored, uh, most favored nation status, they get the same deal. So the U.S. also has to charge them the same tariffs. Uh, Yeah, gotcha. So, yeah, so the idea is, you know, that uh, each, you know, everybody's being treated equally. Nobody's getting any special deals. Now, in reality, they're all kind of loopholes. Um, right. But, yeah, of course. The, the World Trade Organization is based on that principle. So like China and the U.S., we have most favored nation status with each other. Um, I think uh, the U.S. and the EU, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, the, but you, it, when we have disagreements, it goes to the, the World Trade Organization. The, so like the rubber chicken war, it wasn't a, between the U.S. and China. It wasn't a rubber chicken. It was um, the U.S. China's uh, flooding the market with cheap rubber tires and uh, they're subsidizing the companies and it's artificially keeping the price low. And so China said the Americans subsidize corn and corn feeds the chickens. And so we're going to tax the chickens because they're taxing our... (laughs) Are rubber,
0: and so that's was, the rubber chicken war. That's, that was the rubber chicken war. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. That um, so uh, Putin graduated from uh, Leningrad State in 1975, and went to work for the KGB. Um, he was briefly in counterintelligence before he was sort of shipped off to this backwater in uh, Dresden, and. His time in Dresden uh, is a little foggy. People aren't too sure what he was doing there. According to the other uh, KGB officials who were in charge at the time, he was doing basically busy work, newspaper clippings, um, boring stuff like that. Uh, However, some people um, think that he was actually helping to coordinate government cooperation with the Red Faction Army. Uh, the uh, writer, Catherine Belton, uh, she wrote this book called Putin's People, and she lays out, I, I haven't read the book, I haven't had time yet, but um, apparently she makes a very strong argument that he was assisting the Red Faction Army at the time. Uh, can you, what's the, what was the deal with them?
1: Well, they were West German communists. Um, there really weren't that many of them. Uh, they did like kidnapping, bank robbing, terrorism. They went and trained with the Palestinians for a while. Um, so they
0: sound like old school uh, Bolsheviks who were fighting. The, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Who were yeah, fighting right, like, the
0: the czar? Yeah. Yeah. And um,
1: um, I think they like kidnapped a CEO or something. Um, yeah. They ended up getting. There's a movie about them that's kind of interesting.
0: Oh uh but yeah, like I said it's foggy it's you know he denied that of course. We don't really know too much about what he was doing while he was in the KGB in 1991 he quit the KGB he he retired uh, during the attempted coup of Mikhail Gorbachev, at which what I don't remember that coup Brandon do you know? Much about August it. coup.
1: Uh, the August coup. That was with um, the old school communist hardliners. They wanted to roll back the clock, you know, like so Gorbachev's, you know, um, Glasnost. Uh, was it Perestroika? Probably mispronouncing that, but you know, like liberalizing uh, the nation. But also, it, it was going to change the Soviet Union into the Union of Soviet Sovereign Republics. So kind of devolving power. They would still be united, but I guess a little bit more of a confederation, uh,
0: like you know Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, and um, but and maybe moving away from communism a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. They were, and Gorbachev, you know, his big thing was trying to be more democratic with it, and the the old school guys were like, no, 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 no. We cannot let the Soviet Union fall apart. We can't. We can't lose that. And um, but the coup failed in large part due to like people barricading the Russian White House and, you know, kept kept the old, kept Gorbachev in power. And this was uh, Gorbachev and Yeltsin were working together at that time. And so, you know, them working together helped stave off this coup.
0: All right. So after he left the KGB, he went to work. He he got his start in politics working for Anatoly Sobchak. The Sobchak had been his tutor in college and played, uh, you know, was also sort of a mentor to Putin. And um, he ran for mayor of Leningrad in 1990 and became the first democratically elected mayor of Leningrad. Um, I don't know, yeah, I, I guess it was still Leningrad at that time, and so he brought putin on to uh, you know work for him he gave him a government posting and putin was fiercely loyal to subchek uh, even when subchek had to start dealing with accusations of corruption and uh, being a criminal in general putin stayed by his side and then in 1996 subchek lost His uh, re election bid, and so Putin left his posting. Then in 1997, uh, Boris Yeltsin makes Putin the uh, deputy chief of his presidential staff. And so at this time, Putin was pretty unknown. He was a quiet guy in the background that no one paid any attention to. And, you know, Boris Yeltsin was in office, and he was not doing well. His health was failing. He was drunk all the time. Uh, he was basically incapable of leading. So the Russian oligarchs got together and said, "Okay, you know, Yeltsin's obviously on his way out. We need to step up and, you know, find a way to take control of the government." And so they decided to select someone um, to be like their puppet. They, they chose Putin, you know, because he was quiet. No one knew who he was. And they were like, well, we could, you know, this guy will do what we say. And we're pretty sure we can get him in office. Uh, so he was uh, picked and sort of groomed by this one oligarch who sort of became uh, the informal spokesman for the group of oligarchs, uh, Boris Berezovsky. Now, Berezovsky went to Putin, made this offer to him and got him in the door. So Boris Yeltsin is in on this. He brings Putin in, makes him chief deputy chief of staff and then eventually chief of staff. He, then he makes Putin the prime minister. And at the time, Boris Yeltsin's uh, approval rating with the Russians was dreadfully low. It was something like 2% uh, of the Russian population. He was not popular because he was a a drunk, you know. And so they had to figure out a way to make – or Putin – I won't say that they had to figure out a way. Putin needed something to make him popular. And then uh, it just so happens – Some apartment buildings get uh, destroyed. They get bombed in Moscow and in a couple of other cities. They quickly blame Chechen terrorists. Uh, They had just wrapped up the Chechen war. They quickly blamed Chechen terrorists. Uh, Putin immediately ordered an airstrike and kicked off the second Chechen war, uh, which Russia won. You know, they did very well in. And his approval rating skyrocketed, and he very much gave Russia a renewed sense of identity. And, you know, people started feeling pride in their country again. Now, there, there is a theory that Putin and the Russian FSB, their Federal Security uh, Bureau they were the ones who actually blew up those buildings. The Bloody Czar is an article by David Satter that he wrote for the National Review about this theory. And some of the points of this theory are there was a a fourth or fifth bomb that was found in a Russian apartment building. Some people saw these three guys carrying big sacks down into this building. Everybody was on edge because of the previous bombings. And so, you know, they called the police, they found a, you know, like a bomb, like a live active bomb. And they arrested these three men who turned out to be FSB officers. (laughs) Uh, It just so happened. Right. And, but very quickly, I think it was maybe the following day, the head of the FSB came out and said, no, that was actually a training exercise. Those sacks didn't have fertilizer. They were full of sugar and it wasn't a live bomb and it was just a training exercise. And everybody was like, why would you run a training exercise on blowing up an apartment building when everyone is freaked out about they're about apartment buildings getting bombed. <laughs> yeah. um, according to Satter, he went to the town where the bombing was either discovered, stopped, depending on who you asked, uh, or the training exercise was interrupted. And he said that the people who lived in that area absolutely believed that the FSB had set the bomb and that it, you know they fully intended to blow that building up. There was also some issues with residue from the other explosions uh, being traced back to explosive material that only the FSB had access to. So... Doesn't look good. (laughs) No. You know, and like I said, in response to the bombings... Oh, and there was no investigation. Putin just said, this is Chechnya. They did it. We don't have to, like, look at it too closely. We already know. Nothing um, to see here. Moonlight. Launched the Second Chechen War. It went great. <laughs> and so, you know, that's the case for uh, whether or not Putin was involved with that bombing. There's another relatively small, I say relatively small, it was a terrible tragedy, but another instance that happened early in Putin's career that I think gives us some really good insight into how his mind works. So when he was first elected president, he was not a good public speaker. He always looked detached, stiff, um, quiet. He wasn't good at talking to the public. So he had, he brought on people to help him with that, to train him. But early on in uh, 2000, August 12th, 2000, A Russian submarine named Kursk uh, sank after they were running um, a training drill and a faulty torpedo exploded in the sub. Most of the people on board the sub died immediately, but 23 sailors were able to uh, get to a rear room and barricade themselves in and have, you know, they have a little bit of air. they could survive for a little bit. Uh, The rescue operation was bungled. It was terrible. It was a combination of, um, you know, that old school Russian denial. You don't talk about things. You don't talk about mistakes. Uh, And part of it was that they just weren't prepared for it. They weren't like their military hadn't been doing. This was the first military exercise like this. I believe it had been like 10 years since another one had been like that so they weren't prepared it took them 16 hours to even find the sub and that was because they had disabled the subs tracking beacon or what you know whatever it is that the safety measures that they have in place in case the sub sinks they had disabled that it, so it took them 16 hours to find the sub uh the efforts to get to the sub took days And during, while this was all happening, Putin was on vacation. He was chilling on a beach and everybody was like, where is our leader? And he was like, Uh I'm on vacation, dude. I I don't know any of those people. (laughs) But so they, uh, his advisors convinced him like, dude, you have to go talk to your people. You have to tell, like reassure them, let them know that you care because right now they just think that you don't care. Probably because he didn't care. (laughs) So he finally addresses the public. He comes back from vacation, addresses the public, and meets with the mothers of the surviving trapped sailors. And this is where things get weird and old school Soviet Russia comes through. The mothers are angry at him, which is to be expected. Their sons are trapped. You know, things aren't looking good for them. It's looking like they're going to die a painful death uh at the bottom of the sea. One of the mothers becomes hysterical, and she's like yelling at Putin. Someone pops up from, one, from the wings, walks over, and injects the mother with a sedative. He sticks a syringe in her neck, and she just collapses and they drag her off stage. And this was like a huge public event afterward. Apparently he was really angry about this because like I said, he was very sensitive about his public image. And he said that he didn't believe that those women were actually the mothers of the sailors, that they were prostitutes, that some of his, uh, some of the people on his uh, opposition, you know, People who didn't like him were trying to set him up and make They're him look cri- Crisis actors. Those those were just crisis absolutely actors. Absolutely believed that. So I think that gives you some that gives us some insight into how his mind works. He's very much a relic of the old Soviet Russia, uh, the KGB, and that everything is a smokescreen. Everything is a circus. E- everyone's reality has been managed and there is no things don't just happen and yeah it's a really weird story uh eventually uh Boris Borisovsky who I mentioned earlier the oligarch who helped uh put Putin in power after Putin was in power Borisovsky went to Putin with this idea he had and he says I have an idea how we're going to consolidate and keep power I'm going to form an oppositional political party to you and we'll control it so that we're not only, you know, controlling our side, we're controlling the opposition to us as well.
1: Is that Uh, called the democratic and the Republican party?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Putin was having none of that because he was like, I'm not open to notes, dude. (laughs) I'm not taking suggestions. Uh, I'm in power now. You go off and, you know, continue to make money, uh, but stay out of politics. And that was his general message to all of the oligarchs. I don't. He was like, I don't care uh, what laws you break. I don't care how much money you make. Stay out of politics. Borzovsky had, he owned a television station in Russia. And so after Putin snubbed him, he went on the offensive he hit putin really hard over the kursk submarine tragedy and was just going hard at putin apparently oh and i get a lot of this information there is this uh a podcast series that on audible called putin prisoner of power it's uh if you like bbc style broadcast stuff it's it's really good Borzovsky starts hitting him Putin actually invites him over to his house for a barbecue. Putin apparently had used to throw barbecues where he'd invite people over uh, informally, but, you know, there'd be lots of maneuvering. And Borozovsky jokingly said, like, oh, you don't like it, why don't you just take the TV station from me? And Putin's like, oh, okay. So shortly after that, Borozovsky gets charged with tons of crimes, uh, you know, uh, extortion or in, uh, fraud, uh, t- tax evasion. And he may have even been guilty of the at least <laughs> some of this stuff. It's possible. But Putin seizes all of his assets and Putin seizes the television station. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe he sort of bought it through a proxy Borozovsky had to leave the country. He, he went from being a billionaire to he left with maybe a couple hundred million and fled to the United Kingdom, where Russia kept trying to get him extradited. Uh, United Kingdom refused to send him back. That was kind of, you know, there was some tension over that. Uh, he had a couple of friends who were assassinated. He... He managed to avoid two or three different assassination attempts uh, until, in 2013, he was found hanged. And there are some questions over whether or not he actually hung himself or if somebody did it for him. There is no definitive evidence one way or the other. They did know that he was suffering from severe depression, probably from <laughs> you know running and fighting for his life all the time. <laughs> he was in debt. Um, so they said it's possible, but it seems just as likely that, you know, uh, somebody helped him out with that, you know, so that's, that's who we're dealing with. That's Putin or, you know, it's just like, you know, that's a little background information on him. Obviously he's done it's way a, more than that, but he really is an artifact. A barbecue. It's, yeah, it's almost like, I started to wonder if he isn't, you know, like it's some philosophical or ideological way, sort of like the revenge of the USSR, you know, like a, yep. <laughs> sort of, a, I mean, obviously not intentionally because all of this, uh, you couldn't really predict the rise of Putin like that, but he just, you know, sort of, I, you know, the Soviet Union collapsed, but there's this one little, uh, rock that was going to stay in the shoe of the West for decades after. All right, guys. Well, that's it. Um, You know the drill. Like, subscribe. Facebook, facebook.com slash CIA files, Twitter and Instagram at CIA files podcast and the website CIA files.net. We're going to be back soon with more news and uh, very soon with our next uh, proper episode and uh, stick around, check out the Facebook feed too, because we try to keep up with sharing uh, relevant news stories and something that I wanted to do that we didn't have time for, but nobody has time for apparently is to look at the other news that's going on because the rest of the world still exists and is <laughs> doing things uh, that sucked and, out a lot of the air a lot yeah of so um, it feels it feels like a good idea to kind of uh, get out of the room with Russia and Ukraine and see what's going on in the other rooms um, so yeah stick around we'll keep you updated and that's it thank All you right.